You're listening to episode 16 of the Master Your Mind, Business, and Life podcast. I can't believe we're in the final month of 2018. 2018 was nothing like I thought it would be, but everything I needed. As we gear up for 2019, you might already be thinking about transformation and changing your life. For many, myself included, we can get stuck in life's roadblocks and then feel like we're becoming a version of ourselves that we don't love. We know we need a change, but oftentimes adjusting our behaviors is the biggest, toughest, yet most critical step of the process. This week's guest has infused her professional education with her personal experience of overcoming a 10-year addiction and an eating disorder to create a unique coaching system. We've got to dive right into this episode and meet Vitaly Buford because she has quite the journey and a message to share. So tune in, turn it up, and let's go. You're listening to Master Your Mind, Business, and Life. Conversations with everyday world shifters, truth seekers, and rule breakers. Here's your host, Lauren Smith. Hey everyone, it's Lauren Smith, and welcome back to another episode. This week, I'm meeting with Vitaly Buford. Vitaly is a crisis expert and an agent of transformation and lasting change. She helps stuck individuals take action through learning one necessary and fundamental truth. They're worth it. Personally, that's a mission I am so down with. Vitaly, welcome to the show and thanks for joining me. Yeah, Lauren, thank you for having me on your show. I'm so excited. Well, you have quite the interesting story. So you're currently (laughs) a transformational coach, but I really want to know how did you arrive at this place in your life? So will you walk us through your journey? Yeah, I will. Um, And my uh, story is a story of really coming home to myself and having a history of really searching for external validation and being a chameleon. Mm -hmm. and um, really learning to shed other people's expectations and learn to really love myself and be the validation I need Mm -hmm. um, instead of really looking for external validation. Wow. So it's been a really, really good, um, this journey of coming home. And, you know, I'm always growing, but it's been a really um, powerful journey of coming home to myself. Wow. So what kind of started all of this? Yeah. So um, I grew up in a home um, with an alcoholic mother, and I thought that I needed to be perfect to be loved. And for me, that meant really thin and really high achieving. And it also meant that, you know, I was searching for external validation, like, do I need to be this way to be loved? Or do I need to be that way to be loved? And so from an early age... I started searching for external validation, thinking that something was wrong with me and I needed other things to be worthy. And that went really high achieving and also really um, thin. Mm. And so I developed body shame and this addiction to perfection at a really young age. And so that just kind of took me through college where I, um, I gained some weight in college and I was taking a four, full course load, working two part-time jobs, and I was introduced to Adderall, which is a prescription stimulant. And I was by all means like successful without the drug. But as soon as I took it, it really and truly became, quote, the perfect drug for me. 
Um, it gave me 10 hands instead of two. Um, I instantly gained a lot of weight. And um, for me, um, it became an instant addiction. Mm. And so from this addiction, um, it grew and, and no one knew that I had a problem. I looked quote perfect on the outside. Right. So right. I was really high achieving. I was thin. I mean, people would even comment like you just look like you have it all together. You're so perfect, which just even fueled the addiction that much more because I kept on getting praise, um, for my achievements and the way I looked and so um, this addiction carried on for 10 years. Wow. So from age 21 to 31, it ruled my life. Wow. And I was, yeah, I know, right? It was, and I was really successful by, you know, on paper, right? Like I had um, a very um, successful corporate career. I was the marketing director at large law firms and I was climbing the ladder and, um, but I was dying on the inside Mm. and my tolerance for the drug was going up and my life on the outside um, looked like I had it all together, but on the inside I was falling apart. Wow. So how did it all kind of come to head? (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I'm 31 years old and my addiction has like, my tolerance has grown. I've started drinking almost every night at this point to come down from the Adderall, from the stimulant. And Um, this corporate coach saw me, um, I'd hired a corporate coach to work with my lawyers and he had seen me interact with my employees. And he looked at me and he said, Vitaly, are you critical of your employees? And Lauren, I have zero self-awareness at this time. You know, like my life is my work and the drug and that's, that's my life. And so he's like, are you critical of your employees? And I looked at him and I was thinking to myself, like, who do you think you are? You don't know me. Right. <laughs> and he could tell I was, he could tell I was really upset. And he said, no, he said, Batali, I think you're critical of your employees because you're critical of yourself. And then he told me this life-changing phrase, I see in you what I refuse to see in me. Mm. and I did not know what that phrase meant. So I sat with it. And a week later, my mom came to visit me and she had been drinking and I got really, really upset with her. And I was pointing my finger at her to, to change and blaming her and her drinking. And then I realized that phrase, right? I see in you what I refuse to see in me. And I recognized that I was pointing the finger at my mom to get sober, but I wasn't pointing the finger at myself. Wow. And so it was that moment, like I can remember it so vividly where I was like, oh my God, I'm pointing the finger at you to change and I should be pointing the finger at myself to change. And I got down on my knees and prayed to God to change it. Um, It was the first time I'd actually prayed to God about it. And a week later, literally, I was driving myself to rehab. Wow. And I've been sober ever since. What made you drive yourself to rehab? Was it just like you you look in the mirror and you're like, I'm so broken, like something has to change? Or what made you take the courage? Because that's that's a big step, especially for an addict to, to, to not only go to rehab, but to take yourself there. Right. So, um, you know, I had, um, during my 10-year career as an addict, I, there were a few instances where, um, because my tolerance was so high, I was seeing multiple doctors for multiple prescriptions. And so there were where um, I tried to get off of it because doctors had found out that I'd been seeing multiple doctors, which is illegal, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so for me, 
I just knew that I had to change, you know, like at 10 years after the 10 year career as an addict, I knew that there wasn't an unlimited supply of Adderall. I knew that if I wanted to live a better, healthier life, I had to get off of it. And I was finally ready to change because it was on my terms. Mm. And I also knew that I'd had a decade of this and I had to be removed from my environment. Like I knew that going to meetings wasn't going to help me. Like would it help me as part of my recovery journey? Yes. But to actually like shock my system out of addiction. <laughs> right. I thought I realized that I was going to need to be removed from my environment. So yeah, I went to rehab. How long were you in rehab? Um, I was only in rehab for two weeks, but then I did intensive outpatient rehab for about three months. So I would go to work and go to meetings. That was my life for about three months. So, and, and the meetings, they helped give you tools, I assume too. Right. Yeah. So, you know, the reason why I was using Adderall is because that was my coping mechanism at the time. So I used it to cope instead of dealing with my feelings of feeling unworthy and not enough and dealing with the struggle to be perfect. So I used the Adderall to control my life because that's what I thought I needed to be loved. And so in recovery, you learn healthy coping mechanisms, you know, to feel your feelings. Um, and, and, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. So when I got sober, my journey to, you know, isn't, um, like, hey, uh, I'm better now. Rehab and then, right. yeah, and then everything was great. Right. When I went to rehab, because, you know, I'd removed the drug, but the issues and the deep down feelings still hadn't been dealt with. Right. And so I developed an eating disorder right after I got out of rehab because naturally I'm going to gain weight. You know, I removed the Adderall, which was feeding up my metabolism. And so I'm going to gain weight. And body shame was at the core of my major issue. And, and so I developed an eating disorder that lasted for about two years. Um, and it ruled my life just like the drug. Like I was an exercise addict and I, and I didn't like, I was very restrictive with what I ate. I'm pretty sure I had like broccoli and chicken for two years. It was ridiculous. Wow. So it's almost like you went from one addiction to the other, but just in I did. two different ways. Right. It was addiction whack-a-mole. Right. So how did you start loving yourself again? Yeah. So I would say the major change for me and, um, the major change for me was I became a guardian of my nephew. Mm. So about two years into sobriety, I became the guardian of my nephew and I'm still, I'm his permanent guardian. And so I became a mom and I realized that I could not model eating disorder behavior for him. Like, and I realized that I need, wanted to give him, um, the childhood that I never had wow. in a sober, um, healthy home. And I'm, I'm by no means perfect. And that's not my goal. Um, but, um, for me, he helped me heal my life. Wow. And so we were, it's kind of been this really beautiful experience where we're healing together and he's seven years old now and I'm 36 and, um, we're, you know, learning the ins and outs of lives together. And I'm, I learned to cope healthy so that I can be a better parent, and also for me, but, um, that was really the start to me recovering from my eating disorder. And then during this time, I also started becoming, um, a certified life coach. 
And the company that I was working for, I was, I had changed from working for lawyers and I started doing human resources and, um, started loving it because I love to motivate people, help them, um, you know, live their dreams and help them with their career track and all those sort of things. So I became a certified life coach and I started coaching women on the side while I was working my full-time job. And, um, these women started paying (laughs) and I was like, you know, I'm going to start doing this full time. And for me, um, going from someone who hated myself for most of my life to being in recovery and sober and really learning to love myself and learning to stand on my own and not need external validation and really just accept myself as I am. And again, this is an ongoing journey. I do not have it all figured out. Right. But it's been such a beautiful transformation for me that I want to help other women experience a transformation of their own. And you don't have to be an addict. It can be a number of things. You could be in an unhappy relationship or a job that's really unfulfilling or just you've been merely existing through life instead of living it. And so for me, it's like to be able to help people learn um, to return home to themselves and learn to love themselves is such a mission for me because um, it's a transformation I've gone through and my life has changed in ways that I can't even describe. Do you find that a lot of your clients also kind of had like a broken childhood as well? Like that they were broken within their childhood, something traumatic happened. Does that, does that come up a lot? Um, it does, but it's not all of my clients. And I would say that everyone has some sort of dysfunction (laughs) in their childhood, right? Like, because, um, you know, generational pain gets passed down, um, Mm -hmm. until you put a stop to it. And, and so it's not like when I look back, like it's not my parents' fault. They didn't know any better. Um, and as I've grown in my journey and my self-awareness, I've been able to see that. And so I think, yeah, like all the way we, the reason we are the way we are is because of how we were raised and what we learned as children. And it doesn't even necessarily come from maybe even parenting. It could be from your experience in middle school or, right. you know, the things that were, um, you know, body image being a big issue in high school. I mean, it could be a, a number of things, but yes, like we are the way we are because of um, what we absorb, right. Those childhood imprints on our lives. Well, I love that you said that, you know, you, you almost have to break the generational, um, you know, pain and, and you're doing that with, with, you know, now as a guardian, like, like you are, you're doing that. Um, and so how, how amazing for him to grow up and, and not only see that you have changed your life, but hopefully he won't repeat the steps of addiction as well. Right. So, right. Um, okay. So what do you believe is the essential element of changing your life? Oh gosh. Um, I would say, you know, the willingness to get aware, mm. to become really aware um goodness there's I have like a three-step process that I take my clients through and I really think that's critical but I think it's this aware this ability and willingness to get aware and then get really uncomfortable to change what is your your three-step process I'm sorry (laughs) so for me yeah no um my three-step process is it's get aware get perspective and get going okay and so get aware is all about looking at this like 
what's in those shadows of your life, like doing the work that's hard, like looking um, at what you're tolerating in your life and your limiting beliefs and your childhood imprints, right? Right. And then, you know, get perspective is all about that mindset shift. Like let's really start changing those limiting beliefs and those subconscious things that you've been telling yourself, like you're not worthy, you're not good enough, et cetera. Um, And then get going is all about getting uncomfortable and changing because for me, all the real transformation in my life has, has occurred from being willing to get uncomfortable and face fears. Like my number one mantra is the life that you want is on the other side of your fear. Mm. And I just believe that so much, you know, for me, getting sober was really scary and it changed me, you know, setting really, really, um, difficult and healthy boundaries with my parents was really hard, but totally transformative, you know, becoming a guardian was transformative, getting out of toxic relationships for me with men was hard, but uncomfortable, but transformative. So for me, I use fear as a guidepost to change. How can we become more intentional with our actions when it, when it comes to change and stepping into our fear? Yeah, I think it's like you, you know it's going to be scary. And that's the thing is when we're not intentional with our life, we avoid the hard stuff. We avoid the scary stuff. Like we brush it aside, you know, um, sweep it under the rug. You know, I'm just going to stay in my comfort zone. I'm not going to deal with that. It's, it's too big and scary. And so living it a life of intention and, and because re- life is the most precious thing. You've got to be intentional with your life and your time on this earth. And so being intentional requires, you know, really saying that's going to be really scary and I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. Like it's going to be really scary to ask for that promotion at work, but I know that I've got it. Like you know, the universe has my back for me. Like faith is a large, is a large part of this. Like I wouldn't be able to do the uncomfortable things that I do personally, if I didn't have faith in God or something bigger than myself. Right. Right. Wow. So when you're, you know, transforming and, um, stepping into this, are there any tools that, you know, cause for me, you know, it is, it's that big leap of taking faith and, and really leaping into a big change. But a lot of people, when they're fearful, they step back a little bit. So are there any tools or, or tips that you can give to someone to help them be a little bit more intentional when, when stepping into fear? Yeah. So one of my favorite mindset tools for this, for dealing with fear and flipping your fear is to go from what if to even if. And so what I mean is, is like, as, as humans, we, we, what if all over the place, right? Like what if this happens or what if it goes wrong or what if I don't get this? What if I can't pay this bill? What if, what if, what if, what if, and that's all fear-based and all future-based, you know, we think we can predict the future, but news alert, we can't. Mm. And so for me, when you're like, well, what if, you know, I do it and this happens or what if I want you to flip that script to even if, so it's like, even if I ask for that promotion and I don't get it, it's going to be okay. Mm. You know, even if, you know, I have that really scary boundary conversation with my parents and it feels really uncomfortable, I'm going to be okay. Oh, wow. And so really making that switch from what if to even if has been huge for me. Yeah. I feel like what Um, if just brings on a lot of anxiety. Like right. I, yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah. And so, and that comes with fear, right? And that comes with like getting uncomfortable. If you haven't been uncomfortable, you know, doing that for the first time, you're going to be what ifing. 
And so it's really important to flip it to even if. And I'm telling you, like when I do that and when my clients do it, their energy changes. Yeah. And they're like, okay, I can do this. And so for me, like that is a really powerful tool that you can use multiple times a day on big things and little things. And then for me, um, real change started happening for me when I hired my first coach. Mm. Um, You know, I feel like, you know, life is the most precious thing. So it's like, why wouldn't you have a coach? And so I hired, I was a life coach, but I hadn't, I didn't hire my first coach personally until July of last year. And my life really just started opening up and it was that accountability to do scary things. And also like the handholding to walk through the scary things, not alone. Well, I just wrote down that the the even if tip because I know it's really really powerful. It really <laughs> is. I've never thought of it that way, and I I do have to mindfully stop myself from going into those what ifs. I mean, especially with the podcast, you know, like reaching out to you, I didn't know you, so it's like what if right. she says no? But you know, it's like well, even if she says no, I'm still gonna follow you're gonna be okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. but you're also gonna be you're gonna be okay. Like yeah. it's knowing that what's meant for you will come to you. It's knowing that life is happening for you. Wow. It takes like, it's that ability to really stop forcing stuff. Like for me, I'm like, uh, I used to be one of those people that was like, well, what if this client cancels or what if this person doesn't want to be my client or doesn't want to hire me as a coach? And I'm like, then they're not meant for me. Exactly. Like it's all working out the way it's supposed to. Right. Wow. That is so powerful. I love that you just shared that. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so, and I feel like that also just helps people align with their purpose too. When you shift right. that, that inner conversation. And it takes practice. Yes. I mean, I've been doing this for years and I still get, um, well, I will still get stuck in the place of what if or control. And I'm like, hello, like life is happening for me. Like I need to let go. Like nothing ever good came from me being in, trying to control everything outside of me. Wow. How do you use your tools as a coach into parenting? <laughs> because I feel yeah. like, because yeah, it has to come up, right? So like, I feel like you're definitely probably using those positive tools when you're parenting. Yeah. So for me with parenting, I really want Bentley. That's my, um, well, I call him my son because he is now. Yeah. He's um, I really yeah, I really just let him be who he is. So for example, if he starts crying or he gets upset, instead of telling him like to stop crying or to stop doing whatever, I just let him feel it. Mm. I'm like, feel your emotions, buddy. Um, And yeah, if you need to cry, cry. And then also like if he messes something up or whatever, we have like a mantra. We have two mantras in our house. First, it's we're human and we're allowed to make mistakes. And then the second one is we can do hard things. Mm. And so those are just mantras that we talk about. And then another thing that we do, which has been really powerful, and this is more recent, um, but we started seeing a counselor for him. And so we do, um, we check in on his emotions every single day. (laughs) Oh, wow. So how do you do that? What's your prompt for that? We actually have a chart and it's just a page and it's got like pictures of people making faces that are assigned with different emotions. Okay. And so every day at the end of the day, we say, okay, well, what emotions did you feel? And we go through each single one. And then he tells me like, if it was confused and we talk about, okay, well, you felt confused. Like why? Like 
when did you feel confused? And so we talk about it. And I think back to my child, I'm like, damn, that would have been really, excuse me, that would have been really, really powerful for me to have had that emotions chart to identify my emotions. So... Well, yeah, because um, hopefully he'll, hopefully he'll be super adjusted. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel, you know, especially as children, like you don't even know what the feelings are sometimes. So that chart makes a lot of sense. Um, just, just to be able to identify, like, I've never really thought about that, that sometimes you really just have to identify the emotion that you're feeling to help uncover why you're actually feeling that way. Right. And if you think about it, when you're in this pattern of generational pain, if someone is uncomfortable with their feelings, then they're definitely uncomfortable with their child's feelings. Mm. You know, so I think about my childhood. And so, of course, my parents were uncomfortable when I cried because they were uncomfortable when they cried. Mm. And so it's really that recognition and acknowledgement of, like, you can't know another person until you know yourself. Oh, wow. And so it's like truly... um, I think for me, this awareness, it's just made me a better person. It's made me relate to others. Like I can let him cry because I let me cry. Right. Like it makes total sense that my parents, I stuffed my emotions as a child because they were uncomfortable with their own emotions. So they were certainly uncomfortable with my emotions. It makes sense. And it wasn't their fault. Do you allow your son to like see your emotions? Like if you're, you are having a bad day crying. Yeah. Totally. Um, you know, like the other day I saw a star is born and that movie was really emotional for me. And I was crying and he was like, why are you upset mom? And I said, you know, sometimes, you know, you can see things and they can make emotion for you, but crying is a release and it's good. So I think it's really all about communication. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, if my girls see me cry, um, they'll, they'll ask, you know, like, why are, like, why are you crying? And my youngest is that she's such a little healer already because if someone's Aww. upset, she's, she'll naturally just come over to you and just like want to sit and make sure you're okay. That's so sweet. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I'll, I'll tell them like, I'm crying because I'm just so frustrated. Like th- this is just the right. way releasing out of me. And it's not that I'm sad. It's just, I have so much bottled up right now that like, all I can do is cry, you know? And then, and then when I'm done, I'm like, and I feel better now, you know, but right. But yeah, I'm not one to, to hide it either. So I like that you're also transparent with your son. It's just important, you know, think about it. Like I wasn't communicated with that as a child and it's not my parents' fault, but I want to do it differently. Mm. Yes. How is your relationship with your parents now that you're in a different phase of life? Yeah, I think now it's really, I'm I'm in a place where um, I've learned to accept them for who they are. Mm. Um, You know, for most of my life, I was in so much, I had so much anger and so much hurt and resentment. And I wanted them to show up differently than they were capable of showing up. You had to drop your expectation of them. Right. And just allow them to be who they are. Now, that doesn't mean that I need to hang around them all the time. Right. But it means that I can approach them with love now and let them show up as they are instead of demanding for them to be different. Um, it was funny. I had a friend who told me a long time ago when I was having um, a lot of issues with my parents and she was like, you know, you keep on looking at your mom and all she has is oranges Vitali, and you keep on asking her for an apple, <laughs> oh. but all she has is oranges. 
and you're like, no, hold on. Are you sure you don't have that apple in there? Like, come on. I'm pretty sure you have an apple, (laughs) right? Like, are you sure? And so I kept on asking her to show up differently. And so no, like, and I'm still navigating it, but now I'm able to accept her and know that she was doing the best that she could do and have love and appreciation, but then also like just have boundaries. Yeah. And how do you set healthy boundaries? Couldn't. Um, that's funny. I'm doing a free, I'm doing a five day challenge on boundaries next week. Oh, perfect. Um, <laughs> I know. Right. Um, so for me, boundaries are, um, it, you know, it, it varies from person to person and it varies from situation to situation, but what doesn't vary about boundaries is honoring your values. Mm. So for me, a key indicator that I need to set a boundary is when I'm feeling resentment. Like for any sort of situation, right? Like say, do you, I don't know if you want to continue to talk about boundaries. We could talk about this for a little more. No, yeah, let's more. go for it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Go for it. Um, <laughs> I like jamming out on all these topics. This is really yeah. fun. Um, so for me, it's really about noticing, like you have to be first aware, like what am I feeling? And like key indicators that you don't have healthy boundaries are resentment, shame, guilt, anger. And for me, like, so an example of this is say you're in your office and a coworker comes in and interrupts you. You're in the minute in the middle of a project and she, this coworker interrupts you and starts gossiping and takes up 30 minutes of your time. And then she leaves and you feel resentful. Yeah. Like you just and the thing is my time. Right. right. But the thing is, is that you didn't teach her how to treat you. Mm-hmm. What you were teaching her is that it's okay to come into your office and talk because you haven't said otherwise. And so a boundary is saying, Hey Susie, you know, I really want to talk to you, but right now I'm working on this project. Like, can we catch up after work? Can we catch up during lunch? Um, you know, it's, it's, um, and, and boundaries are super important as we're approaching the holidays because that's when everyone, um, all your boundary, um, violations get lit up, right? Like you're around family members that violate your boundaries. You, um, overcommit yourself. You overspend on, on holiday gifts, you know, overeat on holiday food and every area of your life. Um, you know, boundaries, like it's the boundary testing ground during the holiday. <laughs> Wow. That's so good. And I also feel like what you just said, when you're setting boundaries, it's really just owning your power, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, And it's about knowing what you value and speaking up for it because a lot of times we feel bad for wanting something or needing something like, you know, Ooh, I don't want to tell my friend, I don't want to cancel on my friend tonight. And I really want to spend time alone tonight. Like I really have just, it's been a busy week and I just really need some time on my own. But the fact of the matter is, it's like, you want that time and that's okay. Yeah. So it's like, ask for what you need. Yeah. I've had, when I am walking more into saying no, when things like don't feel right, I had to stop giving the excuse as to why. Like I didn't even realize how many times I was providing an excuse for someone like, oh, I'm not going out tonight because blah, 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 blah. You know, like have to like give them a whole backstory when the fact of the matter is like, I don't, I don't have the energy to go out. You know, it's just, yeah, it's, it's a no period. Path. Right. Like, no, no period. Not going out tonight. I'll catch you next time. Like it doesn't, right. it doesn't always need a reason attached to it. And that's something that I've been consciously working on because I, I've always felt the need to validate my reason as to why, but we don't need to do that. Right. Because 
when you are the source of the love you seek, when you are the source of validation that you need, like when you say no to someone, whatever that person's response is, when you have, when you are enough, it doesn't matter how they respond. Right. And you can only be, uh, you only have the control of your action. Their reaction is not in your control. Right. And that has been a powerful thing for me to experience, clients to experience. Like when you really can fully accept that other people's reactions have nothing to do with you. Oh my goodness. There is so much freedom in that. (laughs) You can just do you and you don't have to worry about other people's reactions because everyone is reacting from their, their point of view, from their lens, um, their life experiences. And so it's, yeah, when you, and also when you stop taking responsibility for people's reactions, like you actually have nothing to do with their reaction. Wow. That is, that is so true. I love that so much. So what would you say to someone right now who might be listening to the podcast, who's feeling stuck in life? What would be your advice to them? Oh, that's a good one. Um, my advice would be, you know, believe that you're worthy and start being intentional with your life. Mm-hmm. You know, start getting uncomfortable and doing the hard things to live the, the life that you want. Sorry, this is Lauren. I may go on more than I thought. No, go for it. For go me, for it. it's just like life. You have one life to live and truly you can do anything you set your mind to. And it's really just believing that you're worthy um, and living like you're worthy and um, really taking aligned action to live that life of your dreams because you can do anything you set your mind to. Um, and really just knowing that the life that you want is on the other side of your fear. Like I love that mantra so, so, so much. Yes. And um, it, go- it really goes along with, I am worthy. I am enough. And that's something that I had to repeat myself. Um, right. like when I was stepping into, you know, my, my spiritual awakening, it, right. all of the doubt and all of the fear, it all came back to my worth. And really I I wasn't choosing my worth over things. So just saying like, I am worthy. I am worthy of this is so powerful. Right. I love that message. Well, Vitaly, how can our listeners learn more about you and connect with you further? Yeah. So you can um, visit me on my website, which is vitalybuford.com. Or I'm very active on social media. So you can find me. It's just uh, Vitaly Buford on both Instagram and Facebook. And I have a private group, um, where I do weekly Facebook lives and trainings and all sorts of motivational stuff. So all you have to do is Google me. My name's not common. So yeah, it should pop up, but yeah. Um, and you can get your daily dose of motivation from me. Perfect. Is your Facebook group, um, a private group or do you have to download something to get access? It's a private group, but if you just search it and ask to join and answer a few questions. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I love that so much. So I'm definitely going to join your group. I just wrote that. Yay. Good. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you so much, Vitaly, for joining me today. And by stepping into your fear, I know that you have awakened your purpose and I love that you're now helping others do the same. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lauren. For all of you listeners, as we end this final month of 2018, let's all step into fear and embrace our worth. You can find direct links to Vitaly's website and social channels on this week's episode notes found at mindbizlife.com. I'm on Instagram at 
at MindBizLife, or you can follow my personal Instagram to see pictures of life in Florida, my cute kids, and the everyday life of Lauren at Lauren Smith Biz. Oh, and I'm looking for podcast sponsors. If you know a company that you think would sponsor an episode or two or 10, connect us. Email me at hello at laurensmithbiz.com or check out the media page on mindbizlife.com. Same media page is also my personal website, laurensmithbiz.com. I'll see you back here next week. And until then, remember, every level of life is an opportunity to grow. Be well, my friend.